This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome back to the Keeping Carlson Short Shifts podcast. I'm Ben Burnett. Joining me as always, my pal and yours, Lewis Ezekiel. Lewis, how are you doing tonight? Doing pretty good. It's been an interesting Thursday evening. Not our usual big slate of games, but some interesting plot lines to follow. I see that the uh, Boston Bruins have finally scored at even strength. So that's always nice to see. You know what? I I was starting to look into futures on uh, the over-under at a 0.5 even strength goals for Boston in 2021. I'm glad I didn't put any money on it. Well, yeah, I think you could have bet the over pretty safely, but it was starting to be a very uh, uh, nerve-wracking experience waiting for that to happen. I don't want to freak you out, Lewis, but Boston just scored again. So uh, they've scored two goals here within two minutes in the third. So uh, first piece of news from Short Shift, the Bruins are allowed to score goals again. Very exciting, especially since we're up against Carter Hart this week. So We are. And so, Lewis, I want to start tonight's show talking about a couple of players we spoke about at the end of last week's show. And specifically, I want to bring it up because you kind of have a conundrum involving Linus Olmark, who missed two games now for personal reasons, and Tony D'Angelo, who, of course, was out for two games, uh, healthy scratched. And now that he's back, he looks to be back in the Rangers lineup for Friday night, but was not on the top power play unit in practice. Lewis, what is your Allmark TDA conundrum? Well, I really like Allmark for the remainder of the week because he is up against the uh COVID caps. Uh, not that they have COVID or anything, but they've been uh, four players suspended by the league for four games apiece on that COVID list. Uh, and so I like Allmark this weekend against the caps, and I need to bring him off of my IR. Uh, and I'm trying to decide whether I want to drop Oscar Lindblom or TDA, uh, since I have Fox now, who appears to be uh, at least holding on for now to that top power play position on the Rangers, which is obviously an outstanding position to have if you can get it. So are you then walking back what we said on Tuesday? We both agreed we would give Tony D'Angelo another chance to reclaim that spot on the top unit. Are you now thinking that with the news that he's not going to start there on power play one, that it's over for him? So it all kind of depends on how much I need a streaming spot. Um, because really I could bring Allmark back and drop Lindblom, who I just picked up and who has not been super productive right now. Um, you know, and I could still stream that TDA spot potentially. So right now I'm leaning towards bringing Allmark back and dropping Lindblom, uh, to give TDA those couple games to see what happens. I would be, 
you know, making a big mistake, I think, if I dropped him and then he turns out to, you know, eventually make amends with Dave Quinn and and move up to that top power play position. I think it's just too much of a risk for me right now. Uh, Lindblom is an interesting guy, but I think I could scoop him back up off of waivers for pretty cheap if I needed to later on in the week. Well, but Lindblom started off the season a little bit hot. I do agree that he's probably more droppable than Tony D.A. I have to admit, uh, I was pretty bullish on TDA's chances of getting back on that top unit, getting another look there. But the news today definitely was a, a bit of uh, cold water on the on those hopes. I'm I'm very bullish on Adam Fox right now. And I think that Tony D'Angelo is droppable in most leagues. I don't think that you have to drop him, though. So, like, if you're in a super competitive league where you, you know, if you drop him and he gets picked up and is on the back on the top power play unit by the end of the weekend, then you're, like, totally screwed. I would probably stop short of dropping him in a league like that. I'd give it another couple of days before making a move that could be that consequential. But in most leagues, I think that Tony D'Angelo is probably, like, your third or fourth defenseman. And if you desperately need a win this week and you're going to stream him out and then, you know, somebody like I mentioned him the other night, Rasmus Anderson is available, first of all, I would, I would at this point you know, no question it's Rasmus Anderson over, um, over Tony D'Angelo. But at this point, it's also probably Keith Yandel over Tony D'Angelo. You know what I mean? Like the waiver wire options are starting to look more appealing in relation to Tony D'Angelo. Yeah. You know, I'm in the league where I have him, the, the defensemen are not super plentiful. Um, and I'm actually maybe ready to not have to worry about carrying a defenseman in that slot. He is an extra D. Uh, but I think, like you said, I'm just, I feel too cautious right now. I think, it's too much of a danger that I could really blow up in my face. I'm going to give him those couple games and see where he moves around in the lineup and see, you know, how much uh, of an in the doghouse kind of guy he's going to be um, before I'm going to make any drastic changes. And I think that this conversation is pretty telling about just general early season fantasy conversations, which is just like. It, Try not to panic as best as you can, because we are getting so much information and each game has such a massive, um, massive uh, effect on each perception of each player, right? Because one game right now is 25% of the sample that we have on these guys. So it's real easy. You know, people were talking about dropping Matt Barzell last night, and now he has three points today. So I I definitely understand uh, being patient in deeper leagues, um, but... In shallower leagues, like there's probably somebody who is worth more uh, now and worth about even uh, long term as Tony D'Angelo on a lot of waiver wires. Yeah, if I was holding him in my buddy keeper, he would be on the waiver wire right now. But I've got him in the cupful, so I'm going to try and hold on to him here. I have Fox there too. So however it turns out, I'm going to be happy. I just would like to be resolved sooner rather than later. Yes, absolutely. Uh, you mentioned the Capitals and what a tasty matchup that looks like for Olmark, uh, assuming he gets it the start against the uh, the the Russian free Capitals. Uh, any players that you like, um, any fantasy stock that you're a little bit more hype on, given the news? I mean, we're going to see Verana, Backstrom, Wilson as that top line, most likely, and I imagine they will get a ton of minutes. You know, maybe that'll be nice for Wilson because he can put up some more peripherals for you. That's usually why you have him in your lineup. Um, but, you know, I think overall we're looking at a situation where it's it's going to be subtraction overall. You know, you've lost your top goalie, uh, although Samsonov has not been uh, outstanding so far to start the season. Samsonov, I should say. Uh, 
But yeah, with Ovi out, with with some of these other pieces, I think it it does become very concerning. Um, you know, maybe we see Craig Anderson in goal for the Caps for one of these games. It just seems like uh, a bad situation overall. I don't look at it as being particularly beneficial for anyone. I'm with you there. I you know losing exposure to Ovechkin isn't a great thing for Tom Wilson. We love him because he has that Ovechkin exposure. But yeah, I think that getting minutes for Verana and Wilson they're they're very interesting in that spot because they're going to be the guys. And Verana in particular, I think, has a really nice opportunity here. Over in Colorado, it looks like they are going to get Team Canada standout Bowen Byram in on the defensive unit uh, in tonight's game. His first NHL action. Do the Avs really need another solid defenseman or solid like super future stud player though, Lewis? Like, can't they just share? You know, when your cup runneth over, drink deep. Uh, that's my thinking on this. So I think it's great for, for them to have this. And in terms of how it might, you know, change stock for Avs D-Man, I spent part of the summer when there was nothing better to do, uh, fretting in the patron-only Discord group about uh whether I made a mistake keeping Makar over the summer over some other players, you know, I think that he may be a long-term threat to Makar's power play one slot. Um, but I wouldn't be too optimistic in the short term here uh, in terms of getting really excited to put him in your lineup during this season. You know, obviously we're, we're making guesses here. I would love to see his minutes and his deployment uh, during this evening's games before I really answer. Um, but we might hear about the other BB besides, you know, the, the incomparable Ben Burnett uh, <laughs> on the big show this weekend if he, if he stands out uh, in this game, a uh, couple games for Colorado here. Yeah, I think it's more of a thing of we'll we'll judge based on the hype that comes out from the first couple games, uh, but too early to get too hype unless you are in, of course, some some deeper dynasty leagues, or uh, he's probably owned in a shallow dynasty league as well, but you get my meaning here. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. Over in Toronto, the injury to Joe Thornton, if you had told me, Lewis, three weeks ago, an injury to Joe Thornton would have fantasy relevance, I would suggest that you were wrong. Uh, but instead, he's been playing on that top line with Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner all year. In his stead, after he was injured, Zach Hyman popped up to that top line in the last game. In practice today, though, in the first line, Austin Matthews was flanked by VC and Marner, who VC had been playing with Nylander and Tavares. And then on the second line, Nylander, Tavares, and Zach Hyman. Any interest in either VC or Hyman in their new roles? I mean, that kind of exposure is really nice. Um, I guess I would lean towards Hyman because it looks like Hyman's getting time on that second power play. Uh, it is not, at least so far, it has not been the same sort of balanced power play attack that we've seen uh, in the past with Toronto, which I think most Toronto fans are, are very happy about or people holding, you know, the high end Toronto players. Um but, yeah, I, I mean, he's only spent three minutes with Tavares and Nylander so far this season. It's got to be an upgrade over his most common lineups in Mikheyev and Kerfoot. Uh, you know, this gives the former Wolverine a chance to pace for his usual 55 to 60 points over an 82-game season. Uh, so if that's rosterable in your league with about 37% power play share on that second power play, grab him. Uh, you know, this does seem like a change that is more likely to stick 
than some of these injury-related changes, just given Thornton's age and durability. I don't know that he's guaranteed to come back to that top spot uh, when he returns from injury. And so I want to talk about a couple of slumping players here, and we're going to start in Vancouver, actually, uh, talking about Elias Pettersson, five games now into the season, uh, one assist so far. I thought at first, you know, JT Miller is out. Maybe that's why he just doesn't have his mojo back yet. But now that JT Miller has been back for a few games, he's racking up the points. Three assists last night. Brock Besser got in, scored a couple of goals. Are you worried about Elias Pettersson? Five games in, only one assist. No, yeah, I think it is worrisome. Um, I'm worried, but I'm not panicking, I suppose. You know, the fact that he only has 13 shots in five games is not great. I don't like to see that. The other guy we're going to talk about is shooting a bit more. It just hasn't been very successful. Um, But Patterson's got such a great supporting cast around him. That top power play is so good. So, you know, Patterson is... A little concerning. I'm worried, but I'm not panicking on this one. Um, He's only been on the ice for three even strength goals, and he's only got in on one of them. That seems to me like it is an IPP issue that could write itself with a larger sample size. The 13 shots over five games is a little more worrisome, but Pedersen has such a great supporting cast. Uh, I think I prefer him to the other person that we're going to talk about here in just a minute because I think there's a better chance for him to uh, you know, just have some lucky bounces go his way and start to get in on more of these goals with the really skilled players around him. Well, you say that you're worried about the shots, but 13 and five is actually an upgrade on on his uh, previous shot paces. So Pedersen is shooting more, but he's still not finding a way to get in on any goals. It does seem like in Vancouver, they're a little bit worried. I've been reading some media reports and I mean, the fans have been way too harsh on him. What I don't really understand about NHL markets is how if a player slumps a little bit, it's not a discussion of like, huh, I wonder what's going on with them. Instead, it's this player is ruining our lives. As, th- this guy is your franchise, but I just don't understand why your impulse would be to go crazy on them rather than to try and figure out what is at bay. Anyway, this is my soapbox. It's not fantasy helpful. It's just my I think sometimes about the you have to consider how would you feel if your job performance was graded on the same scale? You know, obviously you're not making as much, so that, that maybe plays a role here, but... Yeah, I think if we were getting nitpicked for our every uh, our every error, it might be very very difficult and painful for us. Um, you know, I, I guess when I'm looking at the shots, uh, I'm I'm doing it in comparison to the next person that we want to look at, uh, who is Kevin Fiala in Minnesota, who's got nothing to show for his 19 shots so far in one fewer game played. Uh, so those shot totals look quite nice. Uh, how are you feeling about Fiala right now? Yeah, the the shot totals are crazy. I mean, the he he looks like it, when you look at the stat sheet, you're wondering what's going on uh, after the the absolute tear he went on, like the two point per game pace he was on for like 30 games last year, and the the shot rates are exactly where you want them to be. So that's wonderful about Kevin Fiala. But I I do think that there's like, there's a reasonable concern that not having Eric Stahl around is a huge disaster in Minnesota, right? Like, I was listening to uh, the PDO cast the other day with Michael Russo, and they were talking about a goal where uh, Kaprizov goes into the corner, makes a great play, gets it over to Fia- or to Parisi, sorry, and Parisi hits Victor Rask wide open net, and he can't score. and And that's kind of the concern: is it's like, who are you passing to? Who are you? Who are you playing with? And the answer for Kevin Fiala is nobody's, unfortunately. And and it's a little freaky. Yeah. So when we talk, you know, I mentioned before that I would rather have Patterson, the next guy we're going to talk about, and it's because of that supporting cast, right? 
He's tied with Gallagher for third among NHL shooters behind only Matthews and Connor McDavid with one fewer game than each of them. Uh, Same number of games as Gallagher. You know, but I think we are a little more worried about his ability to convert on some of these shots just because of the lack of center depth. Minnesota seems like Spirit Airlines to me. You've got a couple solid wings, and then they've hollowed out everything down the middle, uh, you know, to save a buck. So I'm a little worried about things uh, in that regard for uh, Fiala in, in a way that I'm not concerned for Patterson. I'm not overly concerned about either, but you know what? I. I'm a little bit worried about Kevin Fiala not bouncing back to like 75 points, like a point per game guy. I think it's going to be tough for him to hit that hit that uh, mark that you are kind of the upside that you might have been hoping for when you drafted him. But at the same time, you got him at enough of a discount that you're probably okay having him come in around 65, 70 points and not having it be too, too big of a uh, of a downfall for your draft. Yeah, and I think in the meantime, you could consider him as a potential buy-low option, I think, more than Pedersen, just because of the weight that the name carries. Uh, you know, unless, again, you're, you're too nervous about the surrounding, uh, the supporting cast there. Yeah, with Pedersen, for me, it really is just that I'm, I'm more worried about Pedersen as far as, like, his play, because he doesn't quite look the same as he, he has. He doesn't have that same sort of game-breaking burst. I haven't seen him look like an alien on the ice yet this season. And that that is odd for Elias Pettersson, but I don't know. I've just, I've seen it with him for three years. So it's easy for me to be like, yeah, he'll be fine. But uh, Kevin Fiala, really just the 30, 35 games last year that he took off. So I, that's why I'm I'm more concerned there, even though the shots are nice and he, he is filling that category for you if you're playing in a, a Cats league. Two more slumpers, Lewis, and they're both in Columbus. Seth Jones and Zach Wierenski, zero points so far in four games. I don't believe they have a point tonight uh, against Tampa Bay. Uh, That game is tied 2-2 right now. No points either way. Are you starting to freak out? Are you starting to worry about Seth Jones and Zach Wierenski? Yeah, no, I think it is worrisome. I, you know, I'm glad to see that they are starting to perk up a little bit and get some offense in Columbus, but it just seems like the way things are going with how they're balancing out the lines and PLD just being buried and Bjorkstrand not necessarily getting as much support as he would like, although he's converting a little bit here. I just, things are so topsy-turvy in Columbus. I would much prefer to see some lines settle out here so that they can maybe hit their rhythm a little bit, but I don't know that that is going to happen until PLD potentially gets dealt. Um, so yeah, I am a little bit worried about these two defensemen. I don't, I think it's going to be hard for them in a shortened season to be able to, um, you know, approach that, you know, even kind of a 40 point pace here. Uh, might be starting to get out of reach if they go too many more games without putting some points on the board. You know, obviously Jones gives you some peripherals, which is nice, and and you expect Wierenski at least to shoot. But if they're not putting up points, this becomes quite worrisome for uh, our two Columbus D-men here. I would still take Jones over Wierenski, I think, in terms of bounce-back ability. But yeah, you know, it's getting it's getting late early for these two, especially when we consider that in a shortened season, each game is about 4% of your season. I definitely am not. Th- uh, I feel I feel split. This is the reason why you 
don't invest in a color in a Columbus defenseman, right? Is because each of them are kind of the number one guy. They the lines never really stick. It's always fluid. Even if the lines did stick, I feel like it would. There's no game breaker yet. Like you hope that Bjorkstrand takes that next step, and he's looked really good point per game so far this season, and and that's a huge win if if he can keep that up. But then you're losing Pierre Luc Dubois. It looks like you know he has he's barely played tonight. Uh, staple to the bench. So I think there are concerning signs like we're probably not getting the the best versions of Zach Wierenski and Seth Jones that we had hoped we might uh, when we were drafting but overall I do still think you know like 45 to 50 point pace rest of season seems reasonable and Seth Jones is going to stuff the score sheet for you I have a really interesting question here for you Lewis uh somebody gave me a, a trade question they said that they got offered Adam Fox for Morgan Riley and then they also got offered somebody for Seth Jones I can't even remember who the other one was and I said I would actually consider offering Seth Jones for Adam Fox is that too hot for you or is that is that something that you would accept smash accept on well, again, I'm in that position where I've got both of the, uh, thinking selfishly, I'm in the position where I've got both those Rangers defensemen, and I think I would want to keep it that way. I don't know that I would take Jones for Fox, because if Fox can hold on to that power play one position, and I don't, you know, he's got a couple power play assists in the last game, like he seems comfortable, he seems like he's making good plays. I feel like in Columbus, if you have two power play quarterback defenseman you have no power play quarterback defenseman uh so i i don't like it i think i would say no to jones for fox i uh i would i want the adam fox side that's what you're saying yeah yeah that's what i'm saying i think i would too and that is i mean it seems like a a huge change since before the season but that's definitely where i'm at adam fox the ceiling is sky high whereas seth jones you have a very solid floor but i don't see the adam fox floor as too low even if tony d'angelo gets back in that spot and runs away with it i think that adam fox is probably just a step or two behind seth jones and uh yeah i think that that would have been considered an extremely hot take a few weeks ago Overall, though, what are you really going to do with, with Seth Jones and Zach Wierenski? You're not going to drop them. Um, I guess you could maybe consider a trade. But yeah, overall, I think you're kind of stuck with them to ride it out here and see where they stabilize. Uh, if you can get a you know top 15 or top 10 defenseman for either one of them, or if you can package them with a forward to get a nice upgrade at defense, like I, I, I guess I could see that from somebody who's not so afraid. But I'm definitely starting to get a little bit you know, just read the tea leaves here in Columbus. Like it looks like it could be a total disaster of a season. Yeah. I think that latter, um, I think that latter idea is maybe the way to go to look into, um, trying to package one of them, uh, with a more successful forward and see if you can't get somebody a little more reliable on defense. I'm with you. I, you know, I hate to say it just a few games into the season, but just the way that things have been so tumultuous in Columbus, I worry that it is not going to be the kind of season that we expected from them and that uh, they may they may fall short of our expectations for the season. Uh, one guy who I have really liked in Columbus, and I'm seeing him, he's like the guy that looks really interesting on the waiver wire to me in a bunch of leagues, is Alexandra Texier playing with Bjorkstrand and Liam Foody tonight. Um, I, I do have some interest in uh, in Alexandra Texier in leagues that, especially, in, I'm starting to see it in 12 and 14 team leagues. He looks very appealing uh, with with all those points so far. Nothing tonight, unfortunately, but hopefully he keeps that up, and, and I think that he is worth a look off the waiver wire. Yeah, put him on your watch list. See uh, see what happens with him moving forward. Certainly, uh, especially if you know he gets a chance to move up the lineup as as some of these pieces uh, move around or maybe even move out of town. 
One more player I just want to mention real quickly here, Lewis. We've talked about Drake Batherson in Ottawa playing with Brady Kachuk at uh, even strength and on the power play. Also, Josh Norris in that exact same spot, looking pretty good so far this season. Started the season with three points in his first three games, playing 16 and a half minutes or so a night. Uh, No points tonight against Winnipeg in a tough matchup with Connor Hellebuck shutting the door. Uh, So far, four to one, I guess, not a shutout. But yeah, um, Josh Norris, is is he somebody that you would be adding in, uh, in any of your leagues, Lewis? You know, he seems like another one of those players in Ottawa who looks primed to get every chance in the world. You know, I don't know why they wouldn't uh, continue to give him run uh, on that top line and that top power play as long as he has continued to find success. I love the number of opportunities I've gotten to talk about former Wolverines here today. So nice to, to mention Josh Norris here. I think he is definitely of interest. If Drake Batherson was a player of interest to you, I think that Josh Norris should be as well. Uh, at least a guy to watch to see if he keeps getting, you know, this prime deployment. I think about, you know, not obviously not uh, with with Brady Kachuk's pedigree or anything like that. But Brady was so interesting last year because he just was getting every opportunity in the world. Right. So I love to see that. Um, and, you know, if um, he's going to play those big minutes, he's obviously going to have tons of opportunities to, to put the puck in the net. And the Senators have been surprisingly decent at it. Uh, obviously, tonight was a setback, but. Um, you know, I think they're probably doing a little better than a lot of people expected. Yeah, I think, you know, he's not quite getting the Brady Kachuk treatment of, but to see him on the top power play unit, I just think he's one of those guys where, you know, my interest has peaked. Uh, if you've missed out on Drake Batherson, for example, then I think that Josh Norris might be an okay consolation prize to get you a little bit of exposure to Brady Kachuk and uh, Thomas Shabbat and uh, Evgeny Dodonov also playing on that on that top unit. But not somebody that I'm looking for in every league, but somebody who, you know, if he fits the schedule and his schedule next week looks pretty good as well, I'm I'm more than happy to stream in Josh Norris right now. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I like that as a pick. All right, Lewis, that's enough from us. I want to thank everybody for listening, and I want to thank you for hanging out with me. Why don't you sign us off? Oh, it is always a pleasure. Love to be here. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. Uh, appreciate all your listens. Please follow us at short shifts kk on twitter we'd love to answer your questions we've been really enjoying uh, all the hockey chatter in the young season uh thanks to elon and brian on the main podcast thank you to pat roach with the music uh thank you to frozen tools for helping us with all of our research and until we see you next week play smart and keep your shifts short